you are. Welcome back to Round Guy the Podcast as Smithburg Auto of Fairfield, Iowa presents high school football in Southeast Iowa. Smithburg Auto, two locations to serve you better. If you need a car, talk to David. Well, last night was the second round of the playoffs for the small schools and the first round for the big schools. Scotty Melvin was out at the snake pit last night. How how was the atmosphere last night? That atmosphere was rocking. Uh, we made sure to get there plenty early just so we could take it in. And The uh, Thunder Country uh, party van was there with the big video screen. They were doing interviews. They had the band out there. They had the cheerleaders out there. It was rocking. Full stands. Uh, I don't know. It looked like a couple hundred people standing around the fence line on the Sigourney side. It was a uh, it was a big event in town. All right. So uh, let's go over. There was four games in play for Southeast Iowa last night. Uh, the team that probably had the biggest hurdle was Burlington. Uh, I heard they fared pretty well for themselves, but uh, I don't believe they came away with a victory. No, they didn't. You know, and, and it's not unexpected. They had to go up to the, uh, the 4A juggernaut that is Cedar Rapids Xavier. And you know what? They – they came out of the gate hard and they played well, um, wasn't enough, but you know, within the first three minutes of the game, they had gotten on the board, uh, with a touchdown from Bryant Williams, a 65 yarder and hit the two point conversion, took the uh, early eight, nothing lead, but it was all Xavier after that. And unfortunately Burlington, you know, they piled up yards and, uh, they just couldn't finish off drives. They'd get to fourth downs and not get the first down. They turned the ball over on downs a lot. But they put together drives, and uh, like you said, Xavier was going to know they were in a game. I'm sure they did. Bryant Williams tuned them up to uh, 202 yards rushing on 28 carries and the one touchdown. So he finishes season here with 2,227 yards and 30 touchdowns. What a season! Wow, nothing for the Greyhounds to hang their head about. What a what a performance! And they even outgained Xavier yardage wise in this game. They had every statistical advantage you could want they just didn't have the points no but yeah, burlington we're really proud of you uh, proud of this young williams kid and the guys that blocked for him you know that's uh, a little bit uh, the people that we haven't talked about that we should we talk a little bit about them but they yeah you know there there's got to be something going on there and uh you know great season you played the number two team in the state you outgained them you know tremendous effort for burlington uh, I don't know what else. You got any other comments on that game or anything else we need to know? Well, you know, in spite of the fact they lost 45 to eight, uh, if you didn't see the score, you'd think it was a, a two point game. And, um, I think they made a heck of a great accounting for themselves up there. And, um, that's something to build on for the future. You can't replace a kid like Bryant Williams, but I, I have it in my, uh, suspicions that, that they've got more kids like him in Burlington and let's hope they can get them out for football and keep this, uh, program on the upswing yeah it was uh, uh, the best season in decades that Burlington had and uh, I know the town was kind of a buzz about it and uh, you know we salute you here at Round Guy the podcast well yes now here's, a game, the uh, here's a game that I watched I was able to I'm you know through the interviews that I do with the coaches and they tell me how to follow the games and I figure it out and then uh so I was able to watch Mid Prairie's game on YouTube, uh, and they really played well. I mean, they they went up against a team that was just bigger and stronger than they were, and very imposing, and and put a tremendous physical beating on you. 
But somehow, some way, they stayed in that game. I mean, the first quarter, I don't think they had a first down. They were really trying to establish the run, but the their uh, was it West? Which what was it called? West Marshall. Yeah, States. West Marshall. They their front four was uh, not having no running, and when we couldn't establish the run, uh, it made it more difficult to pass. But Coach Cavanaugh made some adjustments. And uh, starting the second quarter off, he really started to move the ball. He found some out patterns. And uh, they have some really talented receivers. Um, but uh, their quarterback had uh, very little time to uh, – at Will Cavanaugh, he, he had to, didn't have much time. A lot of pressure on him all the time. But he seemed to kind of uh, quick step it, get rid of the ball a little quicker. But he was making these nice little outs, these seven and eight – eight yard ones, you know, and, uh, he found a, a kid open in over the middle and, and hit him for a touchdown and they moved the ball quick. You know, it was, you know, it just be a couple plays that didn't go anywhere, but then poof, there was a first down and then a couple plays that didn't go anywhere and poof, there was a first down, you know, and their punter did a really good job. He had a couple nice punts. Uh, there was a trouble with a snap one time, but he, he picked it up, still got it off. It wasn't a, a great punt, but geez, I mean, you can, you know, when the, when the snap hits the ground and you still get a 20, 25 yard gain out of it, that's a, that's doing pretty good. I mean, their special teams played hard. The kids played hard. The defense, they just kept piling on and piling on because they had big bruising running backs and they were pushing the ball and pushing the ball. And one guy get on him and two guys would get on him and three guys would get on him. He's still carrying guys, but, uh, there was a the mid prairie defense was really really sticking it to them and working together and covering well and uh, they didn't give up much on the passing it was mostly on the ground and they didn't get you know it would take them four downs most of the time to get a first down it was just that's how hard mid prairie was fighting uh, they could say what well, what was the final score on it West Marshall ended up uh, twenty six to fourteen yeah. Yeah, they got a couple of touchdowns. Waco got in the in the, or I mean, uh, Mid Prairie got in the, the red zone a couple times and had a couple penalties that cost them. Uh, and uh, that uh, Marshall, they didn't, they never, I never seen them try a field goal ever, you know. And they had three or four times when they easily could have, you know, a fourteen yard line or something, and fourth down and four, and they just still go for it anyway. And then they turn the ball over on downs. Gosh. That, that mid-prairie defense turned that ball over on downs and turned that ball over on downs. And, uh, yeah, they played great. They, they aren't moving on, but, you know, like Burlington, they fought like wildcats in that game and um, couldn't be more proud of them. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he put up some good numbers through the air. We'll have to check that out. Uh, anyway, now let's go to Waco. Uh, I listened to that game on the radio. I had that game on the radio. I had the Mid Prairie on the YouTube on the TV. I had Waco on the laptop, or I had uh, uh, Sigourney on the laptop. So I got to really see it. Uh, in the first half, the who was they playing? Marshall or St. Martinsdale, St. Mary's. Martinsdale, St. Mary's. They, they hung with them for a while. But uh, I mean, they got it to a running clock in the third quarter. It's all the same players that you hear all year long. Everybody seemed to be playing great. They, they I must have had at least four turnovers to nothing, you know. Uh, 
And at the end of the game, they just really poured it on to them in the second half. They got to a running clock in the third quarter. What was the final score there? Waco won this one 50-8. It was all Waco. I mean, they even put in all their subs at the end of the game, and it, it was still all Waco, you know. I mean, they were playing freshmen. I, they might have played a, the water boy and a couple cheerleaders by the time the game was over. But, I mean, it didn't matter. They just, you know, they just grabbed them pom-poms and rushed it right in there because there was no no resistance or something. They broke their spirit at some point in that game. But Waco did everything great. I mean, Waco came to play, and, you know, I just, you know, it, it never ceased to amaze me. Do they you? No, and, and I can't wait to see how this played out. I hope you get to talk to Coach Edeker here pretty quick and uh, get the breakdown on this. But it, it sounds to me, and here's my suspicion, Martindale St. Mary's probably hadn't seen this level of team all year. And I am guessing that all the things that Waco does well, where in a tight game they have to find one of the things they do well, exploit that to pull out a close win. I have a feeling all of that snowballed into a dominating victory over there in Martinsdale. Well, it seemed like well, we'll see. It seemed like Waco won the battle on the ground. They won the battle with the blocking. They won the battle with the defensive front line. They won the battle in the secondary. They won the battle on the special teams. They won the battle. You know, I mean, they won the battle of the passing. I mean, they just did it. I mean, I don't know. It was just like everybody was doused with WD-40 because they were just smooth and slick as could be. Yeah. yeah. Now, we sent you to the snake pit this time. Have you been there before? I have. And I want to give you just a real quick little history on what my little uh, connection to Sigourney is. Rewind back to 1995. I'm 19 years old. I'm hanging out with some friends um, over the holidays, Thanksgiving holiday, in Kyoto through uh, some, you know, through some church connections and stuff. I live in West Central Illinois at the time, um, and when you know it, it just happened to be the year that Sigourney, just a couple of weeks before, had won their second state title in their history. So we're Thanksgiving 1995, and and the folks there find out that. Hey, this guy comes from, you know, the small football capital capital of uh, Illinois. He'd probably be interested in seeing this game tape. So these guys made me watch the uh, 1995 Sigourney Kyoto Championship game that they won up there at the Dome. And I, you know, I fell in love with that uh, community because I said, Hey, you guys are you're you're like our twin from back home. I mean, this is the Iowa version of where I grew up. Ground and pound, win state titles, um, happy Thanksgivings, you know, because of it and whatnot. Fast forward a few more years, I've moved to Iowa by this point. It's 2005, and Sigourney's got another great team with a superstar running back named John McLaughlin. My uncle and I say to ourselves, we got to see this kid play. They had a big uh, state-ranked matchup game with uh, West Burlington that night. So we headed over to Sigourney to the Snake Pit on a Friday and watched John McLaughlin run wild on that number one-ranked Sigourney Kyoto team, Wallop West Burlington. They won the state championship that year, their third. And that's the last time I've been to the Snake Pit was 2005. So here we are, 2021, second round of the playoffs. Waco's playing on the road, so I can't see them. I can't make it two hours away after work on a Friday to see Waco. Hey, let's go to the Snake Pit. So that's how we ended up there. So what was the experience like? You pull in the driveway. There's already a festive atmosphere. What's the sights? What's the smells? You know, what's the coverage of it all like? 
it, it was extremely nostalgic for me because this is what I grew up with back home um, at a certain point. Uh, and then I moved to Iowa and I've got to continue this with the whole small town, the farm town, you know, um, Friday night lights thing. And that was just the entire experience uh, last night at Sigourney. You know, everybody in town's there. Um, you got Thunder Country's there with their uh, little party van. They got the video screen up. They're interviewing the coaches. They're interviewing, you know, the, the cheerleaders and they're doing some cheers in the band. And, and I got to just catch the tail end of Coach Jensen as he's coming out of the locker room to get out there to, for pregame warmups. And he's fired up. And it, and it was just really exciting. And, and the stands were full. And there were people lined up all around the field. There must have been 200 people on Sigourney's sideline standing to watch the game. And Waterloo Columbus brought a decent crowd. You know, they're a couple hours away to the north. And uh, they were loud when, when there was something to cheer for. So the atmosphere was just that typical late fall playoffs, uh, you know, Win or win and move on, or lose or go home type thing, and uh, the tension was in the air, and it's just as exciting as it gets. Yeah, it was a so I mean, so the game you know gets going, and it's just a real physical contest from start to finish. Uh, you know, there's a lot of highlights, but I want to something happened. I really want to ask you, what was it like when uh, he kicked that 52 yard field goal? Well, that you know. I'm so at the time I'm not paying attention to just, I knew it was a long field goal, but I just was kind of surprised that they were even going to try it. Cause it looked like it was so far away and I'm not used to seeing a high school uh, team line up for a field goal that far away, but there was only two seconds on the clock. Uh, you know, Sigourney at this point of the game late there in the first half is only up, what were they up nine to seven at the time. So, you know, they're, they're probably not going to score a touchdown from the distance they have unless they hit on some kind of trick play and got a little luck. And they, they know they've got a strong-legged kicker. They know uh, Colton Clarehan can, can nail some, you know, 50-yard-ish uh, field goals, at least in practice from what I've heard. And I know that the, the field conditions on the north end of the field, the wind's blowing against you, and it was muddy. And they had missed an extra point early in the game when they scored their first touchdown. You know, slippery footing, not great for kicking. But it just so happened that they're the opposite direction here. They're towards the south end. The wind's behind him, and he's got that powerful leg, and he's accurate. So, you know, I thought, hell, why not? Go go for the go for the long field goal. What have you got to lose, you know? And uh, so, you know, it, it's kind of quiet, and uh, he boomed that thing, and it was a bit of a line drive, which is what you need from that distance, and it went straight through. And, I mean, I thought as it soared through the air, I'm thinking – he's got the distance. I mean, he booted that ball and you could see that body of his put everything it had into it. I mean, I, I can tell when somebody's really wound up and put every ounce from head to toe that they've got into something. And that's what he did. And I thought, man, it looks like it's veering a little left. It might be veering a little left, but nope, it, it snuck right in through that left upright and uh 52 yard field goal heading into half, a lot of momentum place went crazy. Um, I, I wish I could have been on the Waterloo side to see how they reacted to it because there's no way the opposition's thinking this kid's hitting a 52-yarder, but he nailed it, and it was maybe one of the most exciting single plays I've ever seen in all my years watching high school football. Well, I know what you mean. I just I was trying to cover three games, and I think I had looked away, and then I looked up, and I I, I didn't even I didn't even see it. But uh, I, I can't believe I, you know, I'm sitting here drinking my coffee this morning and I'm just going over the play over and over. And I'm like, I, I'm burning. It's burnt into my brain. This is not something you're going to see very often. The fact that I was lucky enough to be there 
you know, it's just one of those things you really appreciate so <laughs> in you, your old age that you were able to experience something like that. So you missed, you mentioned the field conditions and I wanted to mention the field conditions in the mid prairie game because it just looked muddy and slick. Mm. And it seemed like yeah. particularly like on a punt return or a kickoff return that uh, if you're in the middle of the field, when you, you got to that, you know, it's yes, just definitely. a little slip, a little slippery. You know what I mean? The, it looked like the guys had trouble with their footing, not just the guy trying to catch the ball, but even the guy, you know, one of the times one of the guys came down to try and tackle him and he was, he was having a hard time get staying on his feet just to catch the ball. And the other guy just kind of slid like a, like he was sliding into second base and just slid right past him, you know? So there was some, there was some uh, slippery and muddy conditions there in what, in, uh, in the, the mid Prairie game. And you're saying there was some of that there at Waco too, or at Sigourney too. Yeah, the snake pit was in pretty good shape. You know, it was really uh, the only part of the field that I thought was a little chewed up was that north um, end and in the middle, like you said, up at the crown of it. Um, the side, you know, off to the sidelines or towards the sidelines was was pretty decent. It wasn't overly wet. It was just that, that wherever there was some mud, that, that was uh, a, a possible problem. But honestly, I think the offenses for both teams, you know, and, and uh, Columbus runs that spread, a lot of passing. And I didn't think anybody really had too much trouble with footing. The only thing I saw that was noticeably um, affected was the kicking game. If you were kicking on that end of the field. Now, obviously it wasn't the case on the other end of the field. So I don't think uh, at the snake pit that the field conditions really impacted the game a whole lot. So uh, just take us through the game first quarter through the fourth quarter. Just, uh, just tell us about how the game played out. Okay, I, I'll do that, and I don't want to get too crazy with details because I'm hoping you get to talk to Coach Jensen here in a day or so, and I want to hear his take on it. <laughs> but here's what I saw. You know, we, we showed up, great atmosphere and all that, like I said. Um, Sigourney came out, marched the ball downfield, um, and I, I want to say they scored on their first possession. This is where I get a little – this is where Coach Jensen will have the details nailed down. I, as a spectator, uh, I'm a little muddled sometimes in what I remember. But what, what they did do was run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. I, I think they ran like nine times to set up that first touchdown, which was, uh, I believe, a play-action pass. But uh, Colton Clarehan nailed uh, Cade Striegel for a 22-yarder to start the game, and, and that's where uh, they kicked that PAT, and it was slip, slippery up there, and, and he, he shanked it or whatever, and uh, they were only up six to nothing. Uh, beautiful play, though, that to score that touchdown. They set it up with all those runs, and that's what these – uh, ground and pound teams do. This is what we used to do back home where I'm from, you know, with wing tee and wishbone. You just pound and pound and pound the ball on the ground. And then when the, when the defense thinks that that's all that's coming at them, that's when they're set up for that uh, wide open guy down the, down the middle of the field for a big pass play. And that Sigourney set it up beautifully to get that first touchdown. But Waterloo Columbus is very talented. Their quarterback's got an arm. He can throw it deep. He can throw it short. He's accurate. He's got real snap to his throws. They had uh tall athletic receivers. They were just athletic across the board. They weren't as beefy as our, our uh, Sigourney kids, but they, they were athletic and they were good. And uh, they were able to get on the board. They hit their PAT and actually had the seven to six lead. Um, yeah. Sigourney was able to get set up for another, uh, their first field goal of the game, which was a 43 yarder that Clara hand nailed. And I thought that was impressive enough. And they took that nine to seven lead. And then, you know, the teams, they, they uh, traded possessions or whatever until we got to the end of the first half, and that's when he nailed the 52-yarder, which, you know, 
the 43 yarder gets you excited. The 52 yarder probably had people soiling their britches. You know, that was just, it was insanity. I've just never seen anything like it. And uh, that's when they took that 12 to seven lead into the, into the break. Now with Columbus having the type of offense they have, as well as um, Sigurdi's defense is, is playing, I didn't feel this game was in a real comfortable spot, but when they took their uh, 18 to uh, seven lead with their, the last touchdown that they scored. This is where these these ground and pound teams make you feel like you don't have a chance because a lead like that, it may as well be up by 30, you know, because they choose so much time off the clock. And then defensively, they make the, the opposition work so hard to get the ball downfield. You know, they may give up, like Jensen had said in one of your earlier interviews, they may give up the occasional big play, and they did in the first half on the big pass play that Columbus scored on. But that's not going to happen multiple times in the game with a defense like that. And they got their one. And you just had this feeling like 18 to 7, Sigourney may as well be up, you know, by 30 points. And that's how it finished out. You know, the team's traded possessions. Um, Sigourney did what they did. They ran a lot of clock off. Yeah, they didn't score again, but they didn't need to because their defense took care of business and they didn't leave Waterloo time. You know, it, it, they remind me a lot of a, the 11-man version of Waco. They don't really have any real weaknesses. They're going to just make you work so hard to get points that it's almost impossible to beat them. And I don't see it happening. I mean, there, there's probably a team out there that matches up better with them than Waterloo. But, uh, you know, until they get to one of those types of teams, like Jensen said, they can play with them for four, four quarters. It's, it's going to be tough sledding to beat this uh, Cobra team. Yeah, the Cobras are kind of the same in the first quarter as they are in the fourth quarter. I mean, mm. they're just kind of slow and methodic. And, uh, you know uh, – mm. Waterloo is like the kind of strong you get in the weight room and Sydney's yes, the yes. kind of strong you get on the farm. You, you know what I'm saying? They're just I want kind to point that out strong. real quick. Uh, I want to point out real quick that, um, and not, not to take anything away from Waterloo, that, that was a great team with uh, some really good athletes and big, strong linemen. But I'm telling you, by the, by the time that fourth quarter rolled around, there was no fire left in in Columbus's line. Yeah, they, they get. I mean, they, they won it all out on the and, field. And, they were big and strong, and they they fought yeah. us for every inch that we got. And uh, they had quick, they had the ability to score quick. And I was never, I never felt very comfortable about. And they were looking for that big play. All oh, the yes, time, they were. You know, uh, they were, but it didn't seem like they ever punted. You know, it just. Uh, I think it'd have been better off if they'd have tried some punts because they just turned it over on downs a bunch. But it, it's possible. But I, I think, like I said, they they wanted to score if at every opportunity they had because you don't want to give the ball back to Sigourney because even if they don't score, they're going to run eight minutes off the clock. You know, so uh, you know once they get ahead by a couple scores, you're in big trouble. Yeah, you know, especially the defense wears the offense down and the offense wears the defense down. That's I'll well, that's what I'm does. saying. You know, the the Waterloo uh, linemen, especially, and the and the you know, they keyed on Molinex, but those guys were pounding them so hard. So uh, yeah, let, you let me ask you line this: fresh all game, and then Columbus by the fourth quarter, they just looked like they were ready to pack it up and go home. Well, let me ask you this: uh, Waterloo came with the game plan that we're not going to let Molinex beat us. You know? True. They they I mean they sold all out on that, but then once Col- Clarehan recognized that. And he just started keeping the ball. And there were just big gaping holes for him, you know, because they were just not going to let Mullinex, you know, just get in, break anything. And, but anyone else could take the ball and go, 
you know. Well, this, is, this is what I said in the preview is when you get these kinds of teams that are this balanced, they may have their one superstar guy that gets the bulk of the work or whatever in the backfield with these ground and pound games that piles up yards. But I saw this for many, many years with the wing T system that we run back home. If you key on that guy, look out because there's two other guys chomping at the bit back there waiting for you to let them run. And that's what happened last night. Uh, Levi Crawford burned the, uh, the Waterloo defense a few times. Colton, of course, did. And uh, you, you can't, you just can't key on one guy and expect to come out with a victory. It just doesn't work. So it, I noticed the quarterback for Waterloo's uniform didn't get very dirty. I didn't feel like we got adequate pressure on him. Did you? Um, and, and, well, I'll tell you why. And I, and I said this to Liz early in the game. I said, you see how clean that white uniform is on that quarterback compared to everybody else. They don't, they know what happened to the quarterback in, in the Durant game last week. And I don't think they, they can afford that here. And he was very smart about getting rid of the ball, um, in time to not take hits. And when he had to take off and run, he was very good about getting out of bounds or getting down quick without absorbing any kind of really bad punishment. He was a great quarterback. It was a pleasure to watch him. All right. Well, we only got like three minutes left. So uh, right. you said you had some other scores that you wanted to. Uh... Yeah, these are these are just some some quick rundowns. Uh, Audubon blasted Montezuma last night. So you know what that means. Whoa. So we yeah, three to 14. So does that mean we play at home? Waco? That means we play at home, baby. Who do we play? We would have had to go on the road to Montezuma next Friday, which probably would have made it so I couldn't get to the game, which would have had me very sad. But Audubon took care of business. Now that's now that's got me worried about them, but they got to come to Wayland. We got a home game, one more game in Wayland next Friday. Holy cow. Ah, you heard it here on Round Guy the Podcast, baby. Yeah, this is exciting stuff, man. I can't wait. So what was the score in that game? Audubon 63, Montezuma 14. What? Running clock well, on the number one team in the state in the second round going, of the playoffs at their house? In round one, New London showed that if you slow Burgess down, you've got a real fighting chance against that team. I, I, I don't want to take anything away from his teammates, but I just got this feeling that anybody if you key on him and you got enough athletes to keep him hemmed in, you've got a real chance to win. And, boy, it must have really snowballed on him up there. They must have seen something on the film that Notre Dame exploited, or, I mean, that uh, New London exploited. Yeah, Montezuma, and, and then really, uh, it wasn't close. Wow! Um, so, wow! So we get our home game. So um, we got. And now, what about Sigourney? Who are they going to play? Sigourney's got to go to. I believe it's Nike, Dyke, New Hartford. Is that right? Yep. I don't have to look into that. I was kind of saving some stuff for preview, but uh, they will be on the road. Last night was the last last night uh, they'll play in the Snake Pit this season. Okay, so uh, good thing you were there. Um, what else? Uh, anything else? Well, uh, in eight man, our English Valley's Bears. They won their first game in the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, I heard they. Like yeah, years, they but they, they lost in the second round to uh, one of the top ranked teams. Easton Valley beat them sixty to seven. Well, the good news is Round Guy the podcast high school uh, football edition continues for another week, even though it's just two teams. But uh, Scott, that was great. I really appreciate you. You got anything else to close it out with? Well, we're, we're down to two. We got Waco. We got Sigourney. Good luck, boys. I wish I could be at both games. Uh, I'll be in Wayland uh, this coming Friday and watching Twitter and listening on the radio with Ernest to, to our Cobras. Yeah, Colt Clarahan, man. i never seen anybody 
you know, single-handedly do so much in a game. All right, we're out. Uh, we're the we got up. We got. Uh, thanks for calling me early because we got a little jump on everybody else. All right, cool. we're out.